A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to the Curiosityness podcast, where we learn about stuff that you might be curious about. I'm Travis DeRose, the host, and this episode we're talking AI, artificial intelligence, and specifically how it relates to education and might uh, benefit education. I got on Ryan M. Cameron. He's the author of a book called AI 101, a primer on using artificial intelligence in education. And this is a really fun, interesting conversation. I know I say that all the time because most of them are. They all are, let's be honest. but seriously, I love talking about AI and the future of technology and all this stuff. And um, Ryan's just super, you know, read and knowledgeable about all this stuff. So it was very fun to just ask him questions. And then to get his specific take, you know, on AI in education and what that means for the education industry and what it's going to be for teachers and for students alike. Um, so I think you're really going to like it. So without further ado, here is the episode with Ryan and Cameron now. All right. What's up, Ryan? How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing good, man. Thanks for being on. Uh, excited to talk to you because you got some cool, uh, cool things that you write about. Uh, I mean, well, okay. Your book is AI 101, Primer on yep. Using Artificial Intelligence in Education. So, I mean, how did this come about? How did you get, how did this book happen? You know, um, so I've been in the academic world most of my adult life. Um, I started out, I felt like, uh, you know, my calling was originally in journalism. Okay. And I thought I'd be super famous and none of those things happened. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Um, no. And so, you know, I, I, I found my way into teaching as, as a favor. Um, I had an awesome professor, super inspirational for me, and really kind of uh, a great mentor. And he asked me to come start teaching night classes for him mm-hmm. um, at a community college. I was a non-traditional student, all those kinds of, of things. I worked my way uh, kind of through traditional academics, struggled a lot um, as, as kind of a student. And it, it came into my blood. Um, I love teaching. I love working with young people. And, and it was just something that really kind of ignited a whole lifetime of, of work into academics. But I've always kind of been a bit of a computer nerd. Um, I love gaming. I love technology. I'm that guy that runs out and buys the new gadget as soon as it's available on the market, uh, much to uh, my bank account's uh, dismay. Um uh, So I go do all those things, and AI was just kind of a natural topic that made its way into higher education. The book itself really came from a place of, unfortunately, fear. A great deal of my my colleagues, a great deal of my students are are terrified of AI. Um, You know, I, I think a lot of people have this question in their minds of, you know, is Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator is going to start walking around any day now? Mm-hmm. Uh, or are my jobs going to disappear or all those big concerns that are floating around about artificial intelligence. And I really felt very different. Um, I, I wasn't really afraid of it. I was really excited about it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of put together a book for, for those folks that maybe are, are not the super geek. They're not out there buying the new gadgets and they're in higher ed or, or they're in academics and they, they want to kind of understand what this is all about. Um, in, in a safe and not really a fearful kind of way. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's I was I was born in uh, 93. So went, you know, kind of going through school and, you know, early 2000s. And we had like the technology we had in class was like these smart boards. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing was, no one, none of the teachers used them. They just sat there and they used them as a normal whiteboard. So I, I could see it being a little difficult to get educators to hop on the technology bandwagon. Oh, sure. There's actually a funny story in my career about smart boards. Um, I, I actually almost almost got fired uh, because of the controversy around smart boards. Wow. OK. Yeah. So I had one of my first administrative appointments. Um, you know, as as educators, sometimes we refer to, you know, going to the admin side as the dark side of the force. Um, but I really felt like I could make a bigger impact if I kind of worked, worked my way up to an administrative role. And so I worked for a really uh, kind of a, a smaller school district, and I was against smart boards. Okay. Uh, it was a horrible investment, and it wouldn't get used. And at the time, the, the prevailing opinion of the campus was complete opposite. Like, we had to have smart boards. And, you know, these things were really going to be closely integrated into curriculum, and students were going to love it. It was going to transform how we taught everything. Um, and so, you know, finally I just gave in and said, okay, let's, let's make the investment and let's move into this category. Um, and I think this is a really kind of a good analogy that you brought up in that sometimes there's a lot of hype around technology and it just doesn't pan out the way people think it's going to go. Um, the funny part about that story is fast forward many, many years. And it's my understanding that all those smart boards that were purchased by that particular entity, um, they ended up going into like a yard sale. Um, so it was like a surplus equipment sale. And, oh, and, my God. Yeah. So they, they collected a lot of dust and those sorts of things. But they certainly didn't replace teachers. Uh, they certainly, you know, didn't kind of turn into these evil robots that were taking over the classrooms and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I on the my last episode, I talked to. Uh, a guy who has the uh, a podcast called The History of the Internet. Sure. And uh, we talked about how it's like, you know, in the late 90s, there was like this promise of the Internet and everything that we could do, like e-commerce and purchasing and, uh, you know, sharing photos and all this stuff. But it's like the you could see the, the vision and what was possible, but the technology just wasn't quite there. And so yeah. that's kind of why they, the bubble popped and everything. And then now we're starting to see that stuff because the technology is catching up. So um, his thoughts were that we're kind of on the maybe we might be on the same cusp with AI. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree with your colleague. Um, we're, we're certainly at a tipping point. And the reason that we're at a tipping point is data. Um, artificial intelligence is actually just really fancy math. And I I think a lot of people don't quite, you know, go down that path when they try to conceptualize it. They think that artificial intelligence truly is this, this robot that's going to appear in your house and it's going to, you know, cook you meals and, and, you know, be able to predict the future and do all these kinds of things. It's very fancy math. Um, and it shouldn't scare you. You should be super excited about the fact that there are people and, and machines out there now that are so smart that they can do things you know, better than an individual can do and faster and more efficient than we've ever been able to do in human history. Mm-hmm. And all this data that's been collected from working in a world and living in a world where we're so connected is really what has made kind of AI possible to become this thing that's super valuable and it doesn't become the next smart board. Right. Um, 
these kinds of, of technologies, they depend on the sense that what you have are tremendous data sets and data pools that you can lean on to actually collect things like predictive analytics. And so a, a lot of the times when you see a company, they're advertising a product and they say, hey, this is AI enabled or this is an AI solution. What they're ultimately talking about is really, really fast math, uh, calculating a lot of data that's now available. Okay, interesting. So, so I guess this might be like a few questions rolled into one, but yep. do we have, is like real AI around today? Uh, are there like different levels of AI? Yes, yes, yes okay. and yes. Okay. <laughs> real AI is around today. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's very much in its infancy. Um, so if you want to dig down into kind of the minutia of what real AI is, is we're, we're talking about a machine that's capable of making its own decisions. Um, it's capable of having autonomous action. And it does that in such a way that it mimics how a human being may do that. Um, so that kind of gets into the true things of, of artificial intelligence. And there are researchers out there that are doing some fantastic things with artificial intelligence. Um, and they're kind of, we really see it the most is they're trying to pair that with robotics. Um, so you get into the sense that, you know, you have uh, essentially uh, an avatar or an entity that can kind of cohabitate with you and, and do some interesting things and has a personality. And that kind of personality tends to change and evolve based on the algorithms that are in the machine. So. Those things are very real. Um, one of the, the more fun activities that you might want to you know, put on kind of your, your podcast for your viewers is there's some great uh, material out there where they have researchers that take two artificial intelligence systems and have them have a conversation with each other. And you kind of watch it just degrade very quickly into almost mad lips. Um, yeah, it, it's wild. And the questions that they're asking each other are only based off of the depth of knowledge of these questions that have been given to the system. That's uh -huh. no, they haven't really, you know, had life experience like you and I have had. They, they don't really have emotional states like you and I have or those sorts of things. So they ask really kind of unusual questions. Um, and, you know, you quickly see that you shouldn't be afraid of this thing. It's kind of clunky. It's, it's still relatively new. Uh -huh. the, the second part of your question, when you're, you're talking about levels of AI, absolutely true. Okay. Um, the, the narrow band of AI is what everybody's used to now. And most people have it in their pocket. Um, if you've got a smartphone that uses either the Google or the Apple platforms or some of the other ones that are out there and, you're making grocery lists or you're asking for directions or those sorts of things, that's a narrow band AI. Um, it's able to take certain rules and put them together and try and give you an answer based off of statistical probability. So if I ask my phone, uh, where is the closest sub sandwich shop? Um, it would look for uh, close. So it's looking for proximity to where I am. And a definition of close is that 10 miles, is that 100 miles? Okay. And so it'll take that approximation and make a decision. And then it'll say, okay, well, we know sandwich and we know sub. So it'll look for those two words and it'll put it together. And then sometimes it'll look for some fanciful things like uh, maybe ratings. So are there social media ratings that are three-star, five-star, um, those sorts of things? Is the store open? Did they publish their hours online? 
And it gets to kind of that depth of analysis to say, hey, you need to go down to you know Joe's Subs, which is right down the street. They're open. They have high ratings. The middle tier of AI is, I think, what's most exciting for people right now. And these are systems that are truly capable of some predictive analysis or some decision-making. Okay. You see a lot of it right now in the health sciences. So uh, with something like um, oncology, you can take millions of images that show different healthy cells and cancerous cells or benign tumors or cancerous tumors or all those different factors, and they can analyze it very rapidly. So you can get to a cancer diagnosis, a very accurate one, very quickly now, um, when in the past it, it took a lot of human intervention to try and make an educated guess at it. Um, but that doesn't you know, necess- necessarily constitute care. Um, we have to be kind of careful about that. I can't, I can't tell you that AI is a better oncologist than your oncologist. That's a, a dangerous statement. Right. And then you have kind of this advanced, sophisticated tier, which is kind of the science fiction that everybody's talking about. And this is artificial intelligence that can basically feed itself, okay. um, can create other intelligences, and it can learn, and it can compound, and it can grow um, really without a lot of human intervention. So that gets into the really kind of stuff that's still far out there. Okay. Interesting. And then, so, um, I guess what's the, what's the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning? Good question. Um, so machine learning is kind of a subset of artificial intelligence. Uh And, um, remember I was kind of talking about that fancy math. So machine learning really is just awesome math. And I'm not a math guy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a technologist in the sense that I know how to use the stuff and I try and come up with different endeavors of how to use it in pretty di- much different or innovative ways. Uh, but I certainly don't myself sit down and write thousands of lines of code or, or those kinds of things. I write books and put them on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of my wheelhouse. But with machine learning, what I can tell you is the, the objective behind it is to look at things like if and or or statements. So, for example, we were talking about, um, we could talk about autonomous cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a super hot topic right now. Uh, if you follow Tesla or you're looking at some of those other companies about what's happening, people are very interested in how that's going to change our lives. And with a self-driving car, the, the if, ands, or ors, or those sorts of things, it's all very deep machine learning. So it's got cameras on it. It's got radar and LIDAR and depth sensors and speed sensors and all of the Internet of Things sensors bolted onto this equipment. And the AI has parameters that say, hey, if there's a blob in front of you, stop. So what it does is it does that very, very quickly and very, very efficiently. And then it gets into more depth saying, what is the blob? Is the blob a tree? Is it a human being? Is it a building? Um, Is there a road around the blob? Can I go right? Can I go left? Um, how quickly should I stop? Should I you know, hit the brake immediately or should I slowly push on the brake to slow the vehicle down? Okay. So all those kinds of parameters in depth are examples of machine learning algorithms that are all compiled into the artificial intelligence that makes the self-driving car do what it does. Wow, interesting. And then so, so is it... Is it actually kind of learning the more that it goes through things? In some ways, yes. Okay. Um, you know, if, 
if you um, had the means and you went out and you bought yourself a new Tesla mm-hmm. and uh, you put in some of the, the self-driving modes, there, there are some reporting mechanisms that will beam that information back to Tesla and Tesla will then take it and put it into a big fancy server and do even more fancy math and start looking at how they can grow and, and make that system more uh, sophisticated based on feedback. Um, at the individual level of the car or the vehicle itself, there really isn't a whole lot of new learning happening. It's just actually taking those parameters and making actions based on those parameters. So it's it's not the case that you know um, your car is going to be a better self-driving car than your neighbor's car because you drive it more often. Um, but they both still have to be back to some centralized place where you know their decisions are made on how to update that software and then all the cars will be equally as sophisticated okay so the the car that has three hundred thousand miles isn't three times as smart as the hundred thousand mile car no no (laughs) yeah no all the same software they're all going to behave exactly the same way yeah makes sense okay so let's get into how like what uh how ai can help you know with education oh sure um so this it's a scary kind of thing, right? Um, you know, if, if you were like me, I don't know if you like school or not. I, I was not a fan of school. So was, it's almost, I was like, so, so about it. So, so about some school? things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you didn't say, wow, school is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> no, definitely um, not. So a big part of my job is to try and change that paradigm and make sure that students today say, wow, school was my favorite. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a tough endeavor. And I'm a tough customer because I hated school and I'm very critical of, of the quality of education and how things are done. But uh, I'll start with kind of a simple question. So a big part of school today is you'll write a paper or create a presentation and you'll give that to a faculty member and um, that person will grade and assess it and give it back to you and say, here's what you got right. Here's what you got wrong. Mm-hmm. Did you learn a whole lot? And did you really have the opportunity to benefit from your teacher's experience? And did you really learn what you wanted to learn or what you were curious about? Or were you just kind of going through a process? Right. So. For artificial intelligence and education, the the real value, the true prospect is to give teachers and students more time to do the things that truly matter about education. Um, And that's being able to kind of really have a personalized approach for every student. So uh, things like, you know, grading papers and just kind of looking at mechanical things, those can all be quickly automated with artificial intelligence. Okay. Uh, We've seen this technology for actually a really long time in, in academics. Um, if you've taken an online class, for example, you probably use something like called a, a plagiarism checker. And essentially what that does is it took that paper and it looked for patterns of different words and how you put those together. And it goes out into the interwebs and looks for all of that data and comes back and says, uh, within a percent of likelihood, this is either an original paper or, you know, the student was super lazy and did the Wikipedia copy paste and just hoped that nobody noticed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's an early benefit of how artificial intelligence has been able to kind of quickly automate that process. So now faculty have more time to work with students on, you know, original concepts and original things that they want to learn. So 
I think it's the personalization of education that AI just opens the door for new possibilities on. And it'll, it'll truly be those kind of mechanical things that you'll start to see go away. Um, and you'll see things like um, what's called competency-based education continue to emerge and grow. So we're not looking at, you know, well, did you do what we told you to do in the way that we told you to do it? Or did you learn a discipline or a skill where you can actually go out and do multiple kinds of things? Um, you get a degree to get a job. That's 100% a true statement. So if you get a degree, you're basically demonstrating, I have expertise in this particular area, and you know I should be pretty capable at doing this job. Right. You get an education to be able to do any job. And fundamentally, that's the biggest change. And you know, if you're a quality institution or you know, a quality school district, you're really focused on education and not necessarily just diplomas or degrees. Okay. Interesting. So is that, do you think that applies more than for like, uh, you know, elementary, middle and high school stuff? Or does this, does the, you know, just the general education also apply to to college-based learning? I think it's across the board. Um, You know, the universities, not surprisingly, uh, tend to be early adopters with technology. Mm -hmm. Um, just because of the, you know, the age group that they work with are usually young professionals or adults. And uh, they're probably using that technology in their workplace or they've you know, brought something in. They have a high degree of confidence that they want to encounter that. Uh, the only real kind of change to that are things like gaming and entertainment. So um, a lot of technologies kind of start in that realm. Uh, video games have been using artificial intelligence for a very, very long time, even, even my generation. So I, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer, so uh, we played this really awesome game called Oregon Trail. Uh-huh. And essentially the idea behind it is, you know, you, you get out on your, your horse-drawn wagon and you're going across the Oregon Trail and all these circumstantial things happen to you. So, you know, the wheel falls off or you run out of food or you have to go trudging through a river or these kinds of, of paradigms. So you, you would have to get different resources And whether you had those resources or not, uh, against the circumstances that popped up, uh, ultimately determined if you would be successful at the end of the game. So as students like me went through and had these kinds of games at home, when we went to school, it changed how we learned. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to ultimately benefit from learning in kind of that gamified environment. So a lot of students today who are doing maybe esports or, you know, they're playing games like Fortnite, which are actually incredibly complicated uh, games. It's a very complicated simulation environment where you're looking at interaction, interplay, resources, how you manage all those things. And when you go into, you know, middle school or even elementary school or high school, you've already been learning in that fashion for a long time. So those schools, you know, recognize that at the secondary level, they've been looking at gaming for a very long time. So uh, personalized learning technologies that use artificial intelligence have been around accordingly. So you'll see some of that as well. Okay, interesting. So um, can you try to take me through like what, uh, I guess, first of all, what a teacher would kind of experience with like the AI technologies that you would like to see them with or like 
hopeful that they would have, like the benefits they would have with that. And then similarly, like how a student would benefit, like what their day would look like with the technologies you hope to get in there. Sure. So teaching is a hard job. Yeah. Um, and most of the time it's, it's kind of a thankless job. Mm-hmm. You know, um, societies expect teachers in schools to do a lot of things. Um, it, it's, it's really a lot more than just saying, well, uh, did my kid learn how to do math or did my kid learn how to spell or those sorts of things? It, it's social dynamics. It's how you make friends. It's, it's how you behave and interact and communicate. Um, schools become a hub of community activity where they're, you know, deeply involved in things, everything from sports and things that happen on weekends and how people interplay and interact um, to how they affect quality of life and living. Um, universities go so far as to create new drugs and new research and teachers in the mix of all of this have mm-hmm. to be able to keep up with their discipline. So they've got to be able to, to be kind of the, the, the captain of their industry and be well-read and, and recognize the trends and how kind of their discipline has changed and evolved. Um, and they have to care about each of those students that they have to make sure that they've made you know, meaningful progress from day one all the way until they leave the class or they graduate. Mm-hmm. So in order to accomplish those things, you really kind of need some supporting technologies to, to help you understand where each student is. Um, so what I would love to see happen with, with AI, and I think you're seeing some early examples of this, is what if you are a teacher and you knew right away, before a student even showed up in your class, what they were really interested in. Or, for example, where did, where did they ultimately struggle or where did they ultimately succeed in the scope of sequence of things? So me, I already mentioned this, I'm terrible at math. I'm not a math guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always been an okay writer and a pretty good communicator. I was the talk too much in class kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was always this, this notion of rediscovery. So I, I would go into, you know, a new grade level and work with, with new teachers. And unless they really dug in and looked at my academic record for the last, you know, 10 years, or unless they talked to my parents or asked me or kind of did this really in-depth research about me as an individual, they're really firing blind. Yeah. And so it took a while for them to get to know me. Mm-hmm. So you have this kind of data today in the retail market. So if, if I go to a retail store and I have any kind of a member card or a discount card, they know a lot about me. Yeah. You know, they know pretty much where I live. Uh, they know probably how much money I make. They know typically if you know, I'm in a relationship or not. Um, they know what I buy, how often I buy it. Um, they can even you know, extrapolate if I'm super cheap and I only buy things on sale. Or if I'm kind of, you know, uh, a fancy pants and I only buy, you know, organic and the most expensive thing on the menu. So Mm -hmm. all that data is out there and people are customizing retail experiences for us right now based on that. And I think academics will come right along with that. So it should be the notion of me being able to look at a student holistically and understand what their motivations are, what their passions are and where they're struggling, where they can go. Um, There's some technologies that have been around for a while, but they're getting even more sophisticated now that look at intervention. So if I'm a student and I don't pass Algebra 1, and um, I take it twice, and then I get into Algebra 2, 
And if we've learned through all these great sophisticated analytics that, you know, 80% of students who fail the week two exam don't pass the class at the end, and we have that kind of data just basically given to us in a report right away where I don't have to do any data mining, I don't have to be a data science to, scientist to figure this out. I know right away, let's have a study group and let's meet with this person individually and maybe there's a test retake, maybe there's a possibility where I can do that intervention and I can personalize that education approach so that they're gonna be successful. So I think it's, it's offloading some of those challenges that really teachers don't have time to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got so much pressure on them. Uh, the notion of being able to sit down and do a, a learning plan that has that much depth and detail is almost an impossibility without the technology. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, so it kind of comes in with giving them more data, giving teachers more data that's easy to access and understand and, sure. and is relevant to them. And then it also comes in, you know, kind of eliminating, you know, the test grading, the, the you know, just mechanical tasks. Just, and then with the idea being that they have more time to focus on the students and, and you know, teaching. But does the, does the way that they teach change at all? Sure. Oh, yeah. Those dynamics absolutely change. Um, and you know, some disciplines, it's easier than others. Um, if, if I'm learning how to build bridges, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the laws of physics don't change. You have to teach how to build a bridge step one to step 100. Um, and those kinds of mechanics stay the same, but it opens up a realm of possibilities. So if those things don't change, and I know that every student has to know tensile strength and different structural formulas and those sorts of things over and over again. And unless we get new elements or new gravitational pull or, you know, new, new physics, um, those things can be taught by software. Those things can be taught by good math. Um, they can be taught by automated um, online learning tools and those sorts of things. But it gets back into a bit of a philosophical question. Um, does that mean it's a good bridge? Does that mean it's a beautiful bridge? Does that mean that you can sell that bridge to a client? Does that mean that you understand how to plan the project and be successful with it? No. Um, so just because you can build a bridge doesn't mean that you're actually going to be successful in that endeavor. So when I work with a faculty member who has a lot of experience in bridge building, um, it opens up the door for them to, to tell me stories. It opens up the door for them to make things more project-based or more specific. So I, I have now the opportunity to say, well, why don't we go build a bridge? And instead of spending our class time going through all these mechanical things where I'm giving you content, you're receiving content, you're saying you receive the content, I'm verifying you receive the content, We're actually focusing on that human interaction time that we have with each other for true mentorship, for true coaching, for looking at the skills that that we really need. Um, I heard somebody say this one time when they were talking about the future of work in AI. And they said that essentially artificial intelligence can do a task, but it cannot do a job. So in order to prepare a student for a job, Um, the interactions that teachers have with them have to be phenomenally different uh, than they are today because 
really we're, we're slogging through a lot of task work right now instead of really having the opportunity to do mentorship and coaching. Okay. So, so is it kind of like where, you know, we could, we can use AI and technology and, and, you know, maybe give a kid an iPad or something to teach them like the basic stuff, just the, you need to learn this stuff to start. And then the real class time is used for like actual communication stories and, and I don't know, elaborating on that stuff, I guess. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we can do a real simple example. So we can talk about kindergarten. So in kindergarten, you learn things like the seed grows up, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. So you learned a little bit about biology, you learned something that is unchanging. So whether you had, you know, 10, 10 different faculty members are going to teach that concept pretty much the exact same way. And the test is going to ask the exact same question and you're going to arrive at the exact same outcome. Okay. But that doesn't mean that you're actually going to be successful going out and planting a garden. Um, so to actually execute on that. Uh, you have to know a lot of things that are a lot more humanistic and environmental that AI can't do for us. And mm-hmm. so those things are based on experience. Those things are based on phenomenally what, what academics is truly about. And it's truly about that, you know, that mentorship, that opportunity to kind of transform things in your mind and think about possibilities that you probably wouldn't have thought of before. So, yes, the seed grows up. But there's a lot of dynamics inside of that. So um, do we want to teach new biologists, well, this is how you grow plants? Or do we want to say, you're going to learn how to grow plants. We're going to verify that you're able to do that. But now these higher level skills that are a little more in-depth is we need to start talking about how we can grow a lot more plants a lot more efficiently. Um, why do we need to grow more plants? Well, we've got you know huge population growth, and we're not growing any land, uh, so we only have a finite amount of space to grow that land onto. Um, let's talk about environmental conditions. Let's talk about the moral upstream and downstream of how labor forces are treated. So all of those kinds of things, you can't teach all that at kindergarten, I understand that. Um, but all of those dynamics require time and require opportunity. So if you can kind of reduce this mechanical load that faculty and students have, you really open up a whole new realm of possibility. Okay, I see. And then so uh, like maybe in, in your vision or, you know, what you've seen practically, would you teach the, like in, say for in the kindergartner, would you teach them that the plant, the seed grows up? Would that be like a in-class thing that everyone's doing on a some sort of screen or something or would that take place uh-huh. at home or what's yeah it, it, it would probably be something that took place at home it would probably be something that you know it was a homework assignment um it you, you want to maximize human to human interaction uh-huh. um, you know it, it's funny the the more technological we get uh the common thread between human beings is we want to feel more connected to another human being yeah. Uh, it seems like the more technology we make, the more barriers and the less we feel connected to other people. Totally. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to respond to that in a, in a phenomenally different way by saying, what can this new technology do for us to improve and to up our game? Um, you know, the jobs aren't going to go away um, overnight with AI. Is it true that things in like the manufacturing sector, or those, those lower-level tasks that we're burdened with today are going to be automated? Yes, of course it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
rightfully so. Uh, in, in lieu of doing that, we can't actually progress and, and up our game as, as intelligent beings, right? So um, I'm, I'm reminded of like ATM machines. So when ATM machines came out, um, this is a, a well-documented thing. Uh, people were losing their minds. They thought the banking industry was going to be totally, you know, upended and all these people were going to be out of work. But really what happened is if, if you used to be a cashier and you were doing kind of customer interaction, uh, simple customer interaction, now you sell financial products. Now you educate other people on how to manage an income, on how to make investments, on doing all of those things. Mm -hmm. So it really just opened the door for higher order thinking. So in terms of, you know, when those activities happen, they, they can happen anytime, any place, anywhere, any device. Um, and the, the profusion of technology, the availability of technology is, you know, really kind of driving some of that too. Um, you know, you, maybe a student learned that in a game. Maybe they learned that as in an entertaining way. Uh, but if, if you really want to maximize, you know, learning from another human being, you got to kind of change the order of, of what you're focusing on. Mm -hmm. Man, this is awesome. This sounds like, it sounds great. So, and it also sounds like we're kind of almost there technology wise. Yeah. We're, we're at an interesting tipping point. Um, you know, We've had technology for a long time, um, and a lot of people are, are using a term called uh, Industry 4.0 or, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh -huh. And that gets beyond digitization and computerization. Um, that kind of happened in the 80s and the 90s. And now we're, we're to a point where you have to ask a really tough question. And, and the question is, when will the most defining technological event in human history occur, and what will it be? Um, I would argue it's already happened. Um, so if you look at you know, some of the early things with maybe IBM's uh, computers that play chess, or there's an awesome documentary that talks about a game called Go, um, where they built an AI algorithm to play this very sophisticated game that's played in Asia. Um, where you have all these different dots and you build circles and squares and you kind of compete against each other. Um, like it's, it's Stratego, uh, the nth degree. I mean, there's millions upon billions of possibilities of how to play this game. And they've taught machines how to kind of figure out these different approaches and algorithms. So those things have already happened. And it's, it's really already put us into this process where um, it could ultimately be our saving grace or it could be, you know, our demise. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think kind of, you know, the, the birth of accessible and, you know, affordable artificial intelligence systems is probably the most single important event uh, for technology and human history. And it's, it's going to chart a whole new endeavor of where we go. Man, cool. So how does... How does this stuff practically start to get into the classroom? Is it just that, you know, school districts and universities need to make the investments in this stuff and then educate the teachers on how it all works? And then yeah, how to use so it? that's that's kind of a big motivator for the book. Um, you know, it, it, it's easy to be sold some snake oil. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's easy for a lot of people to say, well, this is AI. And you know what? If, if you have this AI, you're going to be the smartest person in the room. Your, your school is going to be the best 
that there is just because you, you plant the flag and you're waving it and it says, you know, artificial intelligence. Um, those things are totally not true. And you have to be very careful about it. Um, but I mean, I saw the other day that there were 9,000 AI companies that started in the last year. Whoa. <laughs> wow. 9,000. But of all of those AI startups that, that came out, I also read that less than 20% received any venture capital funding or, or any real investments from, from people who know what they're doing in terms of startup capital. Mm-hmm. So that should tell you that there's still kind of a lot of smoke and mirrors out there about you know, what's happening. So the, the place that you start is always you know, with your students and what your goals are. Um, I think a lot of schools are, are looking at how they can solve simple problems just to kind of get into to this space. Um, the most common thing that you see a lot of are chatbots. So, um, you know, if, if you're a student, it's a huge benefit for you, uh, particularly in higher ed. It, you need simple questions answered. So, you know, uh, it, is the coffee shop open at this time? Um, who do I go talk to about making sure my schedule is set up for next term? Mm-hmm. Um, where do I pay my tuition bill? You know, um, if I want an appointment at the career center, all these kinds of mechanical things. Historically, the students got to go to nine buildings. They got to talk to three different people. Uh, it's a very frustrating process. and It, it takes you away from that focus of, of what you're supposed to be in school for to start with, which is really to learn and to you know, develop this, this spark of passion into a career. Um, so AI can solve those things, and it also can make school more affordable. Um, so I think that's a, a huge factor. So a lot of schools smartly are looking at artificial intelligence to reduce cost. Um, so if they can do business operational things, if they can do things that, you know, create tuition overhead, uh, any, any improvement areas on that are going to continue to make education more accessible for students and for everybody. And, and that's, you know, ultimately where you'll start to see the first pieces of value. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were a, a, you know, a teacher and I wanted to get started today with artificial intelligence, I'd start with that chat bot. I'd get some of those, those cool, you know, uh, either, you know, the, the Google or the Apple or, or whatever product you want, um, you know, voice enabled gadgets. You can get those super cheap. Uh, you can program them yourself. You don't have to know how to write code. You can download an app and, you know, put rules in there and write sentences and make it respond in certain ways and start teaching your students about how these things work. Um, you know, they're going to encounter them in the workplace. They're going to encounter them at home. Uh, start having the important conversations about, you know, what, what is this going to mean for us? How do we do this in such a way that we create positive social change? Um, how do you kind of navigate that? That's accessible and it's something that people can do right now. Yeah, cool. And what I like about this too is it's not like, I don't know if there's ever really a fear in people about this, whereas like technology and even like online learning is just going to get rid of teachers completely. Oh, yeah, that's a real fear. (laughs) That's a real fear. Um, And, you know, to the to the extent that I have seen people have these deep, heated discussions that I mean, they get into uh, religious and spiritual discussions about, well, you know, uh, machines don't have a soul and like some just like crazy in-depth kinds of things. 
And those are great philosophical conversations to have. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I, I'd love to have a, you know, an adult beer, cocktail, beverage, and, and sit around and talk about those things. But it's really not, not practical, and it's really not what's actually happening out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you know, there's so much trepidation because it truly does come from Hollywood and from sci-fi. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they say, oh, well, AI is here and, you know, you know, people are going to be replaced by these things. Yeah, not quite. When you start actually looking at, you know, the dollars and cents of it, you look at the real capabilities of the technology. We're, we're not quite there yet. Um, there, there's still a lot of barriers to, to kind of get that far. Um, to dissuade the fears, I think it's, it's just really important for people to understand and to recognize that this really is about solving simple problems quicker um, and what we can do to make the world even better than it is you know, today. Mm-hmm. We have really big problems that we've got to solve. Um, and those problem solvers are going to come uh, from this, the students of today who are kind of unfortunately inheriting a, a mess. Um, whether that is, you know, affordable education or the energy crisis or food or environmental things, um, all those are real big problems. Um, and I don't know about you, but since I'm not really a good math guy, I want that artificial intelligence on my side to help me kind of tackle some of those issues. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to get there just by kind of getting out, you know, these old, Casio calculators. Um, you know, this is solar powered. This was hot stuff at one point. <laughs> um, that's not going to help me solve those big toothy problems. So I, I need these new tools. And we, we invented these new tools so that, you know, we can solve these challenges. So I, I think people should just kind of get excited about it and, and embrace it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, what is kind of the future of AI? Are we going to get to that, that third level you talked about before where it's just kind of a general intelligence? Wow. Um, I think so. I, okay. I think it'll happen. Um, you know, the, the thing to watch is uh, look at what a lot of the, the, the governments are doing and look at what a lot of the, the big technology companies are doing to try and, and get down that path. Yeah. The European Union just uh, a couple of months ago released uh, really the first document of its kind, which was kind of a, an ethical guideline of what you ought and ought not to do with artificial intelligence. Okay. Um, so my hope is that we actually get past some of these philosophical questions and we've got really good parameters to, to work with. Um, it's always been a historical truth that it's, it's easier to do evil than it is to do good. Uh, breaking things is simple. Building things is hard. Um, that's never changed. It's, it's not different for, um, you know, the automobile and the smartphone than it was, will be for AI. Uh, smartphones, you know, have found people who are lost in the woods, uh, who would have otherwise died and starved alone. And they've also uh, had the sophistication to create, unfortunately, terrorist networks that were highly effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so AI, does it have the potential to become the Terminator? Yeah, if you give it to it. Um, you know, I, I, I think the governments and a lot of, you know, well-thinking people, I generally think people are, are good, um, will set things up in such a way where we don't, you know, give the, the red button bombing authority to a machine um, and we won't go down that path and we'll look at it to solve problems. 
Will we have, you know, kind of the HAL robot that has a personality and you can become friends with and, and shape and evolve? Yeah, I, I think we absolutely will. And I think it'll, it'll be phenomenal. Um, you know, for, for the people out there that, that maybe have some social anxiety or some, some of those kinds of challenges, this opens up a whole new realm of possibilities for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything from in, in my generation, again, in the 90s, these virtual pets were uh, all the rage. So they actually had little keychains where you had a virtual cat or a virtual dog. And if you fed the cat or the dog or, you know, you, you pet the cat or the dog, it was a happy dog. And you kind of won this game or this simulation. And if you were cruel or evil to it, um, you got the opposite effect and, and you didn't win that. So yeah. I think those mechanisms will come. And uh, I think we have a really bright future. I think we should look forward to it. And, uh, you know, don't worry about robot overlords, but, you know, uh, be excited about your new robot friend that's going to show up. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're super nice to your robot friend, it might help you mow your lawn. Yeah, right. I mean, that's like, a, I, was, well, I had this conversation with my girlfriend a few weeks ago about like, Man, it's like I was like, it wouldn't be great if we could just have like a an AI robotic dog, you know, and it would just be loving and affectionate and it would seem like a real dog. But then when we go on vacation, we just turn it off and we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to take him out to go poop or pee. We don't have to walk him. We can do yeah. that stuff if we want to. You know, I'm like, that's that'd be great. Like and you have that relationship and it's affectionate and everything. But she's like, well, but it's it's not a real dog. And I'm like. It's true. Yeah, but it's like, well, it's it's either biologically made or mechanically made. It does the same thing. But I'm like, I could see I could see both sides of it. You know, those discussions will kind of continue to happen. Um, you know, the, the dystopian view is that um, we, we welcome machines too much and we lose we lose sight of our spirituality, we lose sight of the things that you know truly matter. I, I just don't know if if an artificial entity could ever replace uh, a, a human being. And to that extent, I don't even think a, a cloned entity could ever replace a human being. Um, I read an article about, and I'm a pet owner. I, I have a dog, and mm-hmm. I love my dog, and, and uh, I've, I've bonded with you know this this member of my family so so phenomenally. I have that same guilt when I go on vacation. I'm like, oh, I, I just feel terrible that I've left my dog by himself. Yeah. Um, and so I, I read about this couple that cloned their their cat, and they spent a fortune on it. And I just it felt so silly to me because even if biologically or even electronically that's the same cat or the same dog, um, that sense of personality is always going to be different. Yeah. Unless you could perfectly replicate all of your interactions. And even if you did, um, those outcomes, you know, based on chance and all sorts of other probability factors are going to be very different. So even if I had an exact clone of my dog, it wouldn't be the same dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it, you know, ultimately gets to this question of um, if, if you want to talk about how life will, will look. I, I think we'll have better or clearer definitions of of value, and those would be better and clearer definitions of of how we feel about our spirituality and where the value is, uh, how we treat others, um, and how we we learn and how we teach. Um, 
the the biggest question that I think everybody should be asking themselves when it comes to artificial intelligence is what did you create it for? Um, in Texas, for example, there is a huge controversy about a robot brothel um, that they're trying to build. Wow. Uh, yeah, this is a, a, a real thing. And, you know, I think what's fascinating about it and I think what is encouraging about it it really just makes me feel good about where we're going at as as a as humanity is that this was largely rejected um, because the argument was it doesn't matter if it's a facsimile of a human or a human you're still mistreating so yes. uh, it, it's still the moral you know inaction of saying I, I built this AI to abuse it mm-hmm. and. So ultimately, the courts found it as something that was illegal um, and would not be allowed. So, you know, I'm encouraged about where we're going to go. I think we're going to make really good decisions. Um, And, you know, whether you've got a robot dog or a real dog, I hope no one judges you Mm -hmm. and say, well, that's cool. You got a robot dog. Check it out. I got a real dog. Whatevs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, I think we're a long way from there, but I, I, I find this stuff just interesting to talk about. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's a fascinating subject. I, I think uh, students and teachers alike should, should look forward to where school is going to go and what it's going to look like. Um, it'll be highly personalized. There'll be huge opportunities to conduct research that we haven't been able to do before. Um, for the health sciences, it's, it's really going to be a game changer in, in how healthy we are and how long we live. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from how you research a book or how you learn how to do a math equation to some of those other things, they're going to get easier. And and as people, we're going to get more sophisticated. And uh, hopefully we do get to that point where, you know, someone like yourself goes to school and they say, yes, school was my favorite. And it wasn't that, yeah, it was, some of it was good. Some of it, some of it wasn't so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So do you think, uh, I guess like future wise, is there going to be like, Will there be what artificial intelligence kind of be like specialized for for specific tasks? Like, yeah. OK. Yeah. And that's already kind of happening. Yeah. Um, you know, the that's where the, the market is actually succeeding is, is you see different things like that. Yeah. There's a really interesting company uh, called Cinnamon. Mm-hmm. I love that name because it's just fun to, to say Cinnamon. And I don't know why they chose that for a technology company. but. Yeah. It's like yeah. Apple. It's just tastes good, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so Cinnamon is creating this, this really interesting AI where it's capable of ingesting all kinds of data sets that you know, aren't simple to kind of figure out. So imagine for a moment uh, you're doing genealogy research. And you go to uh, an old uh, parish or an old uh, city government office, and they have a, a filing cabinets full of, of records that were kept and never digitized. Well, you'd have to have a person go through each of those individual pieces of paper and scan it or somehow type it in and do that data entry, mm-hmm. um, try and figure out what is what, which is which. Is it a birth record? Is it a marriage record? Is it so on and so forth? Um, to kind of do that. Well, what Cinnamon is able to do is you can take that giant stack of paper 
uh, put it through a scanner and through OCR, it'll actually do all that heavy lifting for you and say, well, this is a birth date. Well, this is, you know, a death certificate. Well, this is, you know, a marital record and get all that data put together in a rapid way. So very, very specialized kind of subset looking at, you know, text-based things that can get solved that way. Um, Lenovo, I was, I was just out to research triangle, looking at some of their technology for higher ed. Um, they have templates now. Um, so you go into a web page and you look at whatever machine learning algorithm you want to do the type of research that you want to do. Uh, some of it is, um, is it, you know, what is this a picture of? Um, so at first look at that and you're like, okay, well, how is, how is that valuable? How is me understanding the difference between, you know, a, a, a hot dog and a sandwich or a pop tart and a calzone? Um, but essentially what that goes down the path of is things like medical research, um, looking at, you know, even anthropology. Uh, I saw a really cool thing the other day with drones and AI where they had discovered uh, whole cities, uh, ancient civilizations that they you know, had walked over a hundred different times and walked right past it, that because of certain ground patterns, because of certain parameters that the AI was able to recognize, uh, it basically said, hey, here, here's another ancient Incan city that you didn't realize was even there right in front of your face. Um, so all of these kinds of possibilities for, for knowledge and for understanding are, are phenomenal. And, um, you know, it's, it's exciting because we're at the point where maybe we are poised to go to Mars. Maybe we are poised to create a, a society where we don't have issues like hunger and energy and environmental things. And uh, we can kind of get closer to that Star Trek utopia that, that we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Man, it's so fun and exciting. So and then just real quick, I have one more question about yeah, I feel positive, I think overall about AI, but you know, like Elon Musk and some big guys and stuff are, you know, caution us about it. But like, uh, sure. is the fear? Like, I feel like the fear is like, we say, you know, help us solve like global warming or something. And it goes, well, you're the problem humans and then just gets rid of us. Right. <laughs> but is yeah. that really a thing or is it, it's like, we just don't no. give them access to get rid of us or, you know, how does, yeah. how does that all work? I guess. What do you but, see in it in your mind? That's not really a thing. Um, you know, the, for, for education, the, the equivalent of that fear is, well, you know, we have determined that human beings are completely inefficient at teaching math. Yeah. And you can learn math much better from a piece of software. Um, that's probably true. You probably can learn how to do math really efficiently. Um, but is that education or is that a job? Mm-hmm. Is that a task? Um, you know, the, the button pushing scenario is, you know, did, did you put a, a warhead on that drone and have no, no safety switch, no way of intervening and saying, you know, okay, drone, you've made the decision that you're going to drop this bomb, but we're actually not going to drop that bomb. Um, so we would have to intentionally let go of a lot of our own self-autonomy to go down that path. Mm-hmm. And we would have to make the decisions for that to happen. I'm not saying that it's impossible that, you know, somebody out there is, is foolishly going to, to do something like that. We have some early examples. Uh, Microsoft released a, a chat bot 
was really kind of a cool idea and a cool project, but it went wrong was called Tay. Um, so Tay would essentially learn from the internet and become this, you know, entity that you could have conversations with and it would become kind of a guide based on everything that I had learned out on the web. Well, that backfired. Um, there's a lot of content on the internet, shall we say, um, that does not represent, uh, the greater conscious, uh, of, you know, mankind. Um, and so it turned into a, a racist chatbot within <sighs> almost within hours. Wow. Uh, it issued death threats to people. Um, and you know, it went off the rails in a historically bad way. Well, the experiment, they, they simply opened up these parameters and, and said, well, you know, learn what you can. And then based off of, you know, whatever you give this, you know, entity, it'll just take that as truth. It'll take that as face value that, that, you know, this is how you behave. These are the things that you say, because it saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's no different than how we choose to, to raise our children. If, if, if we treat other people poorly and, and we teach people that that's acceptable and, and that's, you know, no big deal, um, you know, you'll start to see those things. So it, it has tremendous power. Um, so if, if you choose to do that, um, you know, there's some possibilities of, of some really bad things happening. Um, I don't think that's going to happen just because, you know, we've got some good people out there and they're making good decisions. Um, you know, that the European Union example I gave you and, and even the Elon Musks um, of the world are waging caution. And they're saying, you know, I have artificial intelligence, you know, or machine learning or, or however you want to qualify it in my, my cars and my products. Mm-hmm. But essentially his warning is you know, there are limits and, you know, don't, don't go so far where, you know, you lose sight of what's really important and you really kind of degrade, um, society by going down this path. So I, I don't think, you know, it's going to get that scary. Yeah. Just be careful about it and how we build it. But is there the, um, I, I don't know, scenario where, um, an AI can go around the kill switches that we create for it, or is that not really popular or possible? Tough question. Um, I suppose it's not impossible. Um, I, I'd actually love to see that movie. Um, that would be a really like awesome James Bond. Uh, I, I'd love to, to kind of see that scenario played out. Uh, the, the depth of that kind of sophistication would require a couple of things. It would require, you know, the, the capability to access multiple systems through multiple means and data and those sorts of things. So it, is it, it theoretically possible? Yeah. Um, but I think we're a long ways off. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I, I could say it's theoretically possible is you look at things like power grids um, and how those are managed. And it's, it's a hundred percent true that, you know, the, the bad guys, hackers out there have tried to, you know, disrupt communities and, and nations by trying to take control of their, their power grids and their, their water purification systems. And those are things because we chose to put them online. Mm-hmm. Um, we chose to put them on the internet. So maybe we need to, to make some decisions where we start backing away from, the internet of things, we start backing away from this idea that everything should be con- con- connected to the internet 
Um, and maybe that builds some safeguards to make the way for AI to be successful. I see. Makes sense. Damn. Well, this is fun, Ryan. I love talking to you. I love this stuff. I'm glad, um, you know, call anytime. I would love to to talk more about it. It's, It's a thrill to be on your show. Um, I'm excited where the program's going and I, I hope a lot of people get value out of kind of this. I love the notion of how many different topics you go after. I mean, it's, it's like everything is interesting. And mm-hmm. so I'm really thrilled and intrigued by that. So I, I think you've got a great concept and, um, I'm looking forward to seeing where everything goes. Cool, man. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate that. Yeah. So um, we'll send people your book, AI 101, a primer on using artificial intelligence and education is on Amazon. I'll have a link for that stuff. Um, Anywhere else we should send people to check out your stuff? Uh, It's it's super easy. You can just go to ryancameron.com. You'll find out if if I'm speaking somewhere or if I'm at an event on my events page. And uh, publications and those sorts of things are, are always out there and available. Um, I just finished my second book that talks about um, the fourth industrial revolution and school leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't believe it, but I've already started my third. So <laughs> I'm be looking at uh, some other AI things as well uh, to help educators kind of be prepared for what I think is a very bright future. Sweet. Yeah, let's definitely do like a, some follow up episodes about your, your other books. And, and there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about, I'm sure, but that'd be fun. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. I what I what, what I would encourage you to do, I think, would be a lot of fun. I don't know if um, kind of your setup is is designed this way, but we should do a panel discussion, and you can kind of get maybe those folks that you know maybe are terrified of AI or, or proponents like me or kind of advocates for the technology, uh, the opportunity to kind of go back and forth and talk about these dimensions. That would be fun. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to see how I can like work that out and, and figure out a way to get that going. Cause that'd be cool. Well, cool. You can count on me to be there. Awesome. Cool. Thanks Ryan. Appreciate you being on and uh, have a good one. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Yep. Good stuff. Huh? Told you. Thanks for sticking around and listening to the end. Really, truly appreciate that. And I'd appreciate it if you shared this episode with your friends, your family, posted on social media, or tell them the good old-fashioned way through word of mouth. Whatever you want, it's fine with me. Uh, if you do go the electronic route through social media, uh, give me a tag. I'm on uh, Instagram's the main one, at Curiosityness Podcast. Also on Twitter, Facebook. You can send me an email at Travis at Curiosityness.com. Let me know what you thought of the episode. If you have any thoughts or recommendations for new guests, or give me some criticism. You can be harsh. It's all right. I can take it. Maybe. Um, but thanks again to Ryan for being on. I really did enjoy this episode. It was super fun. And, uh, That's it. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.